0: Hey everybody, so excited that you have joined us on the Link Church podcast channel. We believe that this message will not only leave you feeling welcome, but we do believe that it will rock you and it will also move you. A moment for God to speak right into your context. So enjoy today's message. I want to take a moment just to welcome you. Good to have you with us. My name is Mark and I get the privilege of wrapping up uh, in an incredible series, Inside Out. Have you enjoyed this series? Come on, give me some hands. If you're online and you've enjoyed this series, give me some hands in the air like you just don't care. Anyway, so um, we, we've come to realize that life uh, happens from the inside out, that there's this, um, there's this uh, God, the language the Bible uses is a heart, uh, your soul, uh, your spirit, and uh, we know that inside is what dictates what happens on the outside. So often in life, we are looking for external validation to fill an internal need. And I think in this series, what we've come to realize that, and I love how in Proverbs it says, is guard your hearts above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, God puts a lot of importance of what happens in your heart. How many know your heart isn't there just to pump blood around your body? Your heart is, is wired and engineered by God. In fact, Jesus is very interested in your heart. So too is the enemy. And uh, you know what, so often we think, I think Tim Keller said it this way, we often think the enemy wants to put big fangs on our throat, but he doesn't, he just wants to put a lie on your heart. And I think sometimes, you he, hear the two lies, one, the lie about who God is, and two, the lie about who you are. And whenever he can get at that, what he's gonna do is he's gonna, dis- he's gonna disqualify, he's gonna disrupt you, because Andy Stanley said it so beautifully, and I love how Kath set it up last week, the book, Enemies of the Heart, which we based this series, is that we get these disruptors that happen in our heart, these debts that are owed to us. And you know what it's like in business, if you run business, whatever, you know exactly how much money is owed to you, amen? <laughs> to the cent. And you know if you owe somebody's money uh, to the cent, yeah. But the challenge is we never do that with our hearts. And so we leave our hearts in this space where we often ask, why is it that I keep going around the same circle, keep bumping up my head? Is there something down deep in my heart? But I love what Kath said last week, uh, the debt of our heart has already been canceled because Jesus Christ went up on the cross and He did what you and I could never do. He took care of the debt once and for all. And so how we arrived in this series and Inside Out, I love how Dill opened it up with a healthy heart because our starting point is a new heart. That's where salvation starts. It starts with a new heart, but here's the challenge. We don't just download a new heart. I know we'd like to like a new IOS program, we don't. We develop a healthy heart. In other words, we have a responsibility in this equation. God gives us a new spirit, but we journey with Him. In other words, there's some development to our healthy heart. Anybody here want a healthy heart? Awesome, awesome. So uh, just to set up this uh, thing, I think the reality is for you and I, we're talking about emotions. now. Um, I was supposed to preach the first one on guilt. Josh got that, and then I got this. And I thought, God, why'd you give me this? Uh, because of all the emotions, you know, I know I've been—I'm guilty of things I've done in my past. I get a bit angry, a lot of passive anger. You know? passive anger, and then you know, I get a bit, uh, get a bit greedy every now and then, a bit selfish, but envy. It's like, mm, I'm not envy. What's envy? Jealousy? I don't even think. Uh, what, what? You know, and I think here's the challenge for you and I, and I just putting it out there, I think we treat our emotions in two camps. One, we put on the one side here, yeah, and we put our ostrich in the, in, head in the sand, and we just push it aside, you know? We're tough men, South African people, they just hide it down. The other side is we tend to live our lives are based on our emotions. One minute we're sad, one minute we don't look at your spouse, one minute up and down, up and down, you know? And then, but God invites us into this series to come. He's got a new way. He's got a way in which we just, we manage this tension. It's not something to be resolved. In fact, He speaks into the very emotions of who we are and He gives us a new way to a new heart. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, there are two ways you end up in hospital. One is voluntarily and one is involuntarily. Mine was the former. Uh, we ended up in hospital. Uh, me and a teammate, uh, a guy on a team with us, and we had done something that didn't really do go well. And a couple of days later, uh, we ended up in in hospital. So, so on the but, but what's interesting is that um, I've never been to ICU, and, and I went into ICU for the first time in my life. But here's what how it happened. I love it because I went to the doctor. I wasn't feeling too well on the Monday. Had a blood test, and he said I'll phone you back. Half past eight on a Monday night at home, I get a phone call, and my doctor, his his bedside manner, he's very he's not much emotion. <laughs> he wouldn't enjoy the series. So anyway, he, he was like, he, he says, he phones me and he goes like, Mark, where are you? I said, I'm on the farm. He says, how far are you from the hospital? I said, I don't know, 25 minutes. I'm still having supper. He said, get in your car and go quickly. So I said, okay, well, I just got to finish supper with my family. He said, no, no, Mark, get in your car and go quickly. I have a physician that's waiting for you. And so anyway, I went like a low flying duck all the way there to the, I managed to get into hospital. But I, I just thought about it as we've entered this series, that this series is all about coming to the great physician. You see, I, I got in the hands, you know, there's something about getting to a hospital when you're in the hands of a physician that studied for 14 years, because you know he's gonna take care of you. How much more are we to bring our hearts to the great physician who knows every single thing about you? You know, what I've loved about this series is God knows the debt to your heart. He knows it. Sometimes though, he needs to shine a light on something that's been hidden for a while. And this series has shone a light on greed, shone a light on anger, shone a light on guilt, and today he's gonna shine a light on envy. But you know what? We need to take it to him, take it to him, and then recognize the payment has already been made. And so um, I wanna start with that. And as, as you've heard, I wanna speak about this emotion called envy. Now the challenge is we often don't think it's serious. We don't really, I mean, envy, envy is I, wa- I want that from something. And the fact that they have it, I, I resent it. Um, envy is like, I wish I had that. Uh, you know, that guy got the promotion, I didn't. In lockdown, his business prospered, mine didn't. But we often ask ourselves, is it really a big deal? Big deal? Is jealousy really a big deal? And I wanna go to the Bible and look at that, and then I'm gonna set it up. And today I wanna set up a case for envy. I wanna give it some, I wanna give it a description. Then I wanna show how it affects your life and then I wanna show you the cure. Because how many know that Jesus has the cure? He is the antibody, he has a solution for you and I. And firstly, I wanna show you what if envy does. We're gonna look to the Bible, James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, he was there, he saw Jesus uh, go, die and rise again. And anytime somebody says, I saw Jesus, I'm gonna believe what he has to say. James chapter three, and we're gonna read it together. Um, And you're gonna help me here. And uh, we're starting at verse uh, 14. And it says, but if you harbor bitter, say it with me, envy. Okay, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, for where you have, say it with me, and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Tell me, I wanna ask you one question. You think envy is important? I think it's very important. And I wanna ask you, where have you seen envy before? I think we see it all around us, physical envy. You know, with ladies, they look at another lady, I wish I had that figure, okay? Oh, I wish I had her hair. Oh, I wish I had her children. What about guys? You. I wish I had his hairline, that's not me. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I had his, I don't know, I wish I had his legs. I don't know, I wish I had his car. I wish I had his business. What about, what about relationship envy? You're friends for a while, you're friends for a while, and then next thing your friend gets engaged and then she gets married and then you're like, oh, I wish I was engaged, I wish I was married. What about marital envy? Wife looks at another couple and says, Oof, I wish I had that husband because he provides for his family and he works hard. My husband, he sits on the couch. What about when a husband looks across and sees a wife that respects her husband and says, You know what? I wish I had her as my wife because my wife's always telling me what I do wrong. Ever had some marital envy? What about generational envy? Remember when you were young and you were going, oh, one day when I get to 18, oh, I'm going to finish school. And then I say, one day when I get to 25, I'm going to start my own business, become an entrepreneur, and I'll earn some money. And then when you get to 25, you go, oh, I wish I was back at 16. No responsibility. (laughs) We have generational, what about talent envy? Oh, I wish I could hit a golf ball like him. Oh, I wish I could analyze it, strategize like him. I wish I, I wish I was like him. I wish I knew what he knew. I wish I could walk like him. I wish I could talk like him. Uh, you ever seen, you ever had envy of talent? It's all around us. And here's the challenge about envy. Is this what the Bible says? A heart full of peace is a joy, but envy rots the bones. I thought rots the bones. What do bones do to your body? They bring foundation. They help you move. What the bones are to the body is what, uh, it, it's, it's, it's likely with our spiritual life. You know, envy has to do with your identity. It's who you are. And that's why it gets so deep seated in us. And James wanted to remind us that this is important business. This emotion that so often wraps itself around in lives is there for every single one of us. And so today I wanna do, you know, I think about it, is the envy in the Bible? Genesis chapter one, Adam and Eve, along comes the devil and he goes, do you wanna be like God? They envied the power God had. And so they ate of the fruit. What about Cain and Abel? Abel provided a better sacrifice. Cain was envious and he murdered his brother. What about Joseph and his brothers? They threw him in a pit to slavery into Egypt. What caused that? Envy. Do you know twice in the gospels it says that the Pharisees handed over Jesus to Pontius Pilate because they were envious of him? It's all over the Bible. And in fact, whether you know it a lot, it's in you and I. But I love this series because God wants to shine a light on us. I wanna talk a little bit, if that's it, let me give you a description for envy. If you're taking notes, please take this down. I love this description, it says this, envy is resenting the goodness of God in other people's lives while ignoring God's blessing in yours. Let me say that again, envy is resenting the goodness of God in other people's lives while ignoring God's blessing in yours. How does envy affect us? Well, firstly, I think envy affects us, it denies your uniqueness. You know why? Why is that? Because envy is always about looking across the neighbor's green grass, always looking across at that person, wishing what they had. And you know what? It denies your very individuality, it denies your uniqueness. I want to tell you this morning, friends, you are not one in 100,000 here on the North Coast. You are not one in 55 million people in South Africa. You are not even one in seven and a half billion. You are one in the universe. Before the beginning of the time and the end of the time, there's been no one like you. You have a color, a print to you, a handprint. You have an ingenuity, a personality, where you were born, how you're born. Never again will every person be like you. You are unique. And you know what envy does? Envy tries to deny that. You know why? Because you're trying to be somebody else. When God created you to be who you were, it denies you're unique. Some people say love is blind, but envy is blind. You know why? Because you're blind to your calling, blind to your gift, blind to your because you're always looking over the fence. I wish I could be somebody else. You know what that means? In fact, it does this, and that's the sad part. It actually insults God. Because you know what we say? We say, God, I'm so worried about them over there and living like them, so you know what, God? I'm actually, I think you messed up by making me. I think you could have done a better job. It actually, what it does inherently is it's saying, God, I don't think you did good on me. see, at the heart of envy is insecurity because envy is always asking the question, what is my worth and am I good enough? Because we don't feel valuable and so we look across at everybody else. It denies your uniqueness. The second thing it does is it divides your attention. And I think so often if you're looking at other people, you know, God calls us to look at Him, put our focus on Him. But you know, it says in Matthew, you cannot serve both God and money. You can replace that with anything. God and pleasure, God and sex, God and your neighbor, God and you can't can't live a life. He says you cannot, not you might, you cannot serve God and something else. It'll divide your attention. What happens to a house that's divided? It falls. It denies your uniqueness, divides your attention, this is how it affects you and I. It also draws our energy. You know, Solomon, it says in Ecclesiastes, he behold a man who was working and he had envy for his neighbor and it said he toiled under the sun and he chased after the wind. What happens is when we live with a sense of envy and jealousy, what we do is we're constantly trying to be someone else and we're chasing after something that's gonna draw our energy and be a waste of time. Imagine one day you get up the ladder, which you think is successful and you get to the top and you realize I've climbed the wrong ladder. I try to live my life like somebody else. Do you know what the number one big regret of people between 90 and 100, when they say the number one regret they have in their life is I didn't live to who I was, to who I truly was. It'll be a waste of time in our lives. We constantly look across the fence and we don't look to Him. The last thing, it leads to all kinds. It opens the door to the enemy. Remember what James said, it leads to every other sin. Pastor Rick Warren said this, envy is both insidious and pervasive, which means it starts out very small, but it grows bigger and bigger and bigger and it affects every part of our life. It is the number one stumbling block to your relationships. That's what envy does for you and I. I said earlier that I'd got this topic and I thought maybe it didn't really affect me. And uh, I remember Kath saying last week, you know, as a family, we've really been blessed in many ways. Um, but I asked God, you know, the question I wanted to ask you is, so who do you envy? And what do you envy? And I thought about it for myself. And I look back over times where I have felt like I've been losing. Have you ever been in a moment where you feel like you're losing, everyone else is winning? Ever had a moment like that? <laughs> where everyone else is doing well and you're not. not. And there's been some moments in our life where we've had to move house and do some things and what I've done, immediately what I've done is I've gone, okay, let me look at my siblings, my brothers, and then I look at my work colleagues. And then when I feel like I'm losing, I look at them and then I compare my life with them. And you know what happens then is what I often do is I then, I realize that actually they can't help me and I realize the debt that I'm carrying is because God owes me something and I turn to God and I start to resent God. Because I think, God, if you could help them and bless them, why didn't you bless me? How come they got that and I didn't get that? And so we begin to question God. And what happens is in my relationship is I, I resent God, I become angry with God, I put a fist up towards Him, I say, God, if you could do it for them, why do not you do it for me? Have you ever happened that in your family? Ever happened that in your association with your friends? And often we look up and we, we do it before him and say, God, and you know what that happens then? The cause of that is that I begin to resent other people. And in fact, it leads me to resenting myself because I go, you know what? I, I, I don't have any value. Am I really good enough? This is what it does for you and I. You know what's interesting about envy? Envy isn't for the, your Facebook friend 995 that lives in Joburg or the guy that lives overseas. You know where envy happens? Those who are closest with you. It happens with a spouse, it happens with your siblings, and it happens with the close friends that you work with. And so I wanna tell you today, although we might have a case for envy and although it might affect our lives, we have a cure. And I wanna get into the cure today because Jesus came along, He didn't leave us like that. He realized that if this was gonna be a disruptor for our hearts, He's gonna disrupt us with some grace this morning. And He's gonna remind us that we are loved and we are known. And I wanna turn to Scripture, Scriptures, John chapter 21, and uh, I wanna set this up. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that Jesus has a conversation with a guy by the name of Peter. But before I get to John chapter 21, I wanna tell you a little bit. It was written by John the Apostle, the one that he said Jesus loved the most. But he got to the end of John chapter 20. And uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. And uh, John is like, he's met him and Jesus met his disciples. And John, at the end of John chapter 20, he writes these words. He says, I wrote this book so that whoever believes in it would be saved. He's almost, I've got to the end of my book and he could have pressed stopped. And theologians said he should have ended at John chapter 20. But guess what? He added another chapter on John chapter 21. And you know what John chapter 21 is about? The reinstatement of Peter. And you know what I wanna tell you? The gospel is not just the story of Jesus. The gospel is the reinstatement of you and I. As God would talk to Peter, he talks to you and I. You might arrive this morning feeling like you're carrying some shame and you feel like you're not worthy and you don't have any value, but I wanna tell you, the gospel is not just the story of Jesus, it's reinstating you and I into a story. And John writes through that lens, he says, listen, as God would speak to Peter, let him speak to you and I today. And so he begins to, Peter, the last time Peter saw Jesus was in the rooster crow three times. And so to set the scene, he went fishing, he said, I'm done, I'm over this, I can't do it anymore. And he goes fishing and the story goes, Jesus comes onto the shore and he sees him and Peter dives out and starts swimming. I love John who writes the account, he just stayed on the boat and just rode next to him. How are you doing, Peter? And then Peter gets out, he's shivering. He's like, you know, Peter was the kind of guy that was just, he, he spoke before he thought. And he jumps out like as he's shivering. There's Jesus just, he's just cooking a meal for him, sitting down. And Peter sits down next to him and Jesus speaks to Peter. And he tells him something which is alarming, but listen to this, because Jesus is so good. He says, and we're gonna read John chapter 21, verse 18. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Peter was talking about, Jesus was telling him that you were gonna die by crucifixion, you're gonna be martyred. And then verse 19, Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now I thought to myself, I don't know about you, but those are pretty harsh words. Last time the rooster crowed, Jesus now in the presence of Peter, uh, Peter's there with him and they're having a conversation. He asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do. And then he says, well, this is how you're gonna glorify me. And I love that thought. You know what? The, one of the greatest commendations we can get from heaven is to glorify God through our lives and both through our death. And he says, Peter, listen, friends, I'm gonna show you that what you first feared because the rooster code three times, you fear death, now you will overcome. You'll never fear death ever again. You know what he was giving him? Not pity, but purpose and perspective. What desperately Peter needed, and I don't know about you, but I don't think we need some pity, we need some perspective on what God says who we are, and remind us that that he loves us and knows us. And so he sits down and he has a conversation, and he says, you're gonna die in the end, and you're gonna be crucified. And I thought to myself, gee, that's a bit harsh. And immediately, you know, I would have thought Peter would have gone, Flip Jesus, that's awesome. You know? Thank you for that. Uh, you've, you've, you've saved me, you've set me free, uh, you've asked me to follow you and I'm gonna do it now, let's go. But he didn't do that. Look what Peter does. He says this, he says in verse 20, he says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. And he t- looked across to him and he said, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Immediately, G- Jesus speaking to Peter. Peter turns and turns to the disciple and he compares himself straight away. What about him, what about him, what about his death, what about where he's going? And Jesus reminds him again and says, I want him to, what if it, I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. I've got one, do, one don't and three do's that I want you to write down, one don't, because it's in the story. Don't compare your life to other people, don't compare. We live in a world that, you see, Peter was namely. what about him? We live in a world that's always looking over the fence, comparing our lives to other people. The problem is there's no win in comparison. You are dead in the water either way. Here's the challenge with comparison. You're either better or you're worse off. If I came to your house, your house is either better or worse off than mine. If I looked at your shoes, your shoes are either better or worse off than mine. Isn't that true? And the challenge is when something is better than you, what do you do? You feel insecure. If you're comparing, if you've got a comparing heart, you feel insecure. Here's the thing about comparison, where comparison begins, contentment ends. And you know what happens? We look across at the other side and what, what happens if we're better than them? If, if my house is better than you, you know what I feel? A bit of pride. I reckon Christians have got PhDs in pride. <laughs> oh, we, oh, I don't hang around with those people anymore. You know, we walk around with this like, I'm strong. You know what, Andy Stanley says, we live in the land of earth. Stronger, fitter, sexier, healthier. You know, we love the ers. We walk around like, oh, I'm just er. I'm just er, I'm a PhD in er. We do, we do, that's what comparison does. And we love it because it's proud, but you know what God says? He detests the proud. I wanna tell you, when you start to think a language like I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm better than them, I'm better than them, I'm better than them, you know what you have? you missed out on grace. Because you didn't deserve anything in the first place. He loves you and knows you. You, you, you bought nothing to the story. He bought everything to the story. And you know what that does? That humbles our hearts because we know we live in the middle again. Because you know what happens? We're always comparing. Look at social media. Whoa, babbo. Whoa, bup, 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 <laughs> We and we look and we and we compare ourselves the whole time. You do know this. I know you know this. That. Social media life is not people's real life. You know that, eh? Okay, I just wanna remind you. And you know what? I wanna tell you too, that no people are perfect. No one got the full package. Foxy, you didn't get the full package. Michael Clausen, you're close, but you didn't get the full package. You, we, didn't get the, we didn't get the full package. There's no 10 out of 10s, guys. Every single person is broken. So before you judge them on social media, know that every person is carrying something you, you don't, you've never dreamt of before. In fact, if we got into a group today in little huddled in little groups and we brought our problems to everyone, you'd be happy to just take your problems home, I think. Sorry, you would. You would go, oh, I thought it was a big, but no, thank you. I've left the group. We would. Now we're comparing all the time, weighing up, weighing up, weighing up. Who's like, listen, God has invited us not to compare. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10 says this, do not compare because you are, you, it is unwise. And unwise in Greek is stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. And the challenge is we brought up like that. Every, you know, Through every platform we have, it's been heightened in this time in lockdown. It's like, oh, check what they did and check what they did and check what they did. The problem is you're trying to live somebody else's life. Listen, if you get on Facebook, be inspired by their stories, but don't imitate them. Yeah. Don't imitate them. You are unique. Walk like you walk. Swagger like you swagger. Dance like you dance. Sing like you sing. Do whatever you do. God hasn't made God. You see, God doesn't God doesn't make clones. The world makes clones. God never made two beetles the same. No two tortoises the same. No two buffaloes the same. No two. No, He didn't. He made you unique. So be who you are. And that's the invitation. So we step out of comparison. There's no win in comparison. But here's what I want to say. That's one don't, and I've got three do's. One do, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You've never seen an athlete running down. Usain Bolt, when he runs on, except the last five meters, he looks around and tells him I won again. But, but before, for 95 meters, he's in his lane and his, his face is fixed towards the finish line. Paul said this language, he said, run the race that is called for you. Put your eyes on Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, stop looking at John and look at me and follow me. You know what he's doing? Giving him direction. The whole time we're looking at the world around us, God says, put down on the world. Look up and see Jesus, put my eyes on Him, I'm gonna stay in my lane. He has the challenge with the same lane, we go like, amen, amen, that's good, that's good. You know what the challenge is? It takes courage to stay in your lane. Because when the world's looking at you, you and say you should be like us and you should be like, no, no, it takes courage. I'm reminded of that little boy in John chapter six, when, the, when, when he feeds 12,000 people, he arrived at that day, I'm telling you, he wasn't the only person that brought a picnic to the story. 12,000 people, you're telling me there's no Woolworths, chickens and hip coolers that day. I'm telling you, there were people with camembert cheese and biscuits, there were guys with champagne and everything, but no one wanted to bring them because you know why? Because inherently they thought it wouldn't be enough. Because when you bring what you've got, you think it isn't enough in the world so you hold back because you've been hurt. But Jesus says, bring who you are. The little boy had courage. It didn't give him a name, it gave him his identity and he brought who he was. He said, he has my, no, no, you think about this for a moment because I was chatting with our small group of things and it suddenly came to my mind. You know what? He had fished, he had two fish, but he had had to fish the day before. So he didn't have refrigerators, but they were stinky fish and, they were, and the bread was stale. But you know what he wasn't? He wasn't scared of who he was. He says, if I put this in the hands of Jesus, watch what he can do. And the disciples stood around. It's like, whoa, whoa. you know what Jesus did? He dropped the mic right there and he says, how many bosses left over? 12 for the 12 unbelieving apostles. Can you imagine the moment they're all standing there? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus walked away, he's like, that's a lesson. That tells me friends, that tells me when you bring your broken part and your stinky heart and everything to him, bring it to God, James says, because when you bring it to him, don't change the people around him, bring it to him. Bring it to him. The world's waiting. The world is waiting for you to bring your gift. And someone might have hurt you and the world might have told you you can't do it and the world, but I wanna tell you what you have is special. And it walks in a humility because you realize that God gave me that gift, not somebody else. And sometimes in my life, I've looked at my brothers and I've looked at friends around me and I've tried to compare my life and I've felt like I'm losing And God says, no, 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 don't worry about that. What is that to you, James? Jesus said to Peter, what's that to you? Stay Because God has something over your life that's specific and special. Let God decide the outcome. Stay in your lane. There will be people in heaven one day that said, thank you, Mark, stay, and you stayed in your lane. Thank you, Vess, that you stayed in your lane. Thank you, Dennis, that you stayed in your lane. Thank you that you stuck with who you were because that made a difference in my life. The world is tired of imitation, tired of people trying to copy somebody else. Be who you were, designed to be. The second do is this. You see, envy is resenting the goodness of God in other people's lives. The antidote that is to celebrate other people. Now, I find this hard sometimes, to be honest, because the Bible says mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. We like to mourn with people that mourn, don't we? Because we feel better. You're like, oh, it's not gonna be okay. Oh, sorry about that. You know, we like that. We like that feeling. But to rejoice with other people that have done well, we find that hard. You know why? Because we think, here's our thinking. This is what we've believed. We think that if God snuffs out my candle, his candle's gonna get brighter. And so what we inherently have believed that God doesn't have enough for everybody. And so we think if God bless Mark, he won't bless me. But last time I checked, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is no limit to his supply. He will bless everyone if he wants to. He'll, he'll, pour, it out over every, he'll pour it over your life. Just because somebody else won doesn't mean you can't win too. And so celebrate other people. Craig Rochelle said, "Aloud and on purpose. You see, here's the thing about celebrating. You know what, i wait till I've done well and then I celebrate, but that only happens like once every month. You know know those moments where you're like, oh, I've done well, yay. But you know what, you can celebrate every day. You know why? Because look around the people around you and see, oh, Mark got a victory, let me celebrate with him. Nick's got a victory, she came out of hospital, and she's been healed, I'm gonna celebrate with her. And you know what that happens? You can have joy every day. Look around your family, every night we get around the family, and say, J-Mo, what's your highlight? Is that, oh, let's celebrate with J-Mo. Anna, what's your highlight? Oh, la, 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 la. oh, let's celebrate with her. You know what, we walk around, dopamine. Filled up in your heart. Because you're celebrating with other people. What would it look like? I think the world's waiting for a church to celebrate one another aloud and on purpose for the unique gift they've been given. Celebrate other people. Is that not what God did to you? The last one is this. I wanna close with this. It says this. So the don'ts are, don't compare. The do's are stay in your lane, celebrate others. The last one is embrace God's love for you. You see, envy is resenting the goodness of God and others while ignoring the blessing you have in your life. I think sometimes we're forensic about what other people are doing, but less forensic about how God's blessed us. And I believe the key to this, to embracing God's love, is to have a heart of gratitude. You know what gratitude is nice and easy? It's an attitude of grace. It's a grace attitude. You know what? Envy says, why them? Grace says, why me? Why did you bless me with this beautiful wife? Why did you bless me with beautiful children? How come you blessed me with this home, with this family? You know what you're doing? I didn't deserve anything God gave it to me. He blessed me. Keep writing down how God's blessed you. And you will evict envy and you will invite God and live on purpose. Embrace God's love for you. Here's the challenge though. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. The challenge is we don't love ourselves. God wants to remind you this morning that there's a Father in heaven that loves you and you need to receive that. But also more importantly, love yourself. I think we love everybody else, but do you truly love you? If God would put value on you, how much should we put value on ourselves? I learned this recently, a lady who had gone through some trauma in her life. She said this and it struck me. She said, what you practice becomes stronger in anything you do. It's a principle of life. And she said, every day I put my hand on my heart. Right here. We're talking about the heart this series, aren't we? Why don't you try it? Initially, it might not feel good, but put your hand and say, thank you, God, that you love me. And then make it personal. Mark, I love you. Say your name. Declare it over yourself. And see what God does in your life. Because suddenly you know that you're loved by Him, but also you love. It's the hardest thing to do sometimes is to love yourself. I'm gonna close with this. Uh, my little daughter, every night, for the first few years, maybe to three or four, she would ask for one story every time. It was the Goldilocks and three bears story. I told it once and she said, please tell it again. But with anything and you tell a story, you always wanna spice it up a bit more. So I'll try and change it if I could. You know, Bring in another character, try and push it, change the colors. And I'd get like halfway through and she'd say, stop dad, that's not the real story. Can you please tell me the real story? And that I have to revert to the one I've told 3000 times. And i just go and she just smile at me. Her eyes just watching me like, Daddy, keep going. And I think sometimes we're trying to add something to the gospel. We're trying to add our performance. We're trying to add things to God's story. There's one story that's been told forever and will be told forever. And one story never changes. Jesus Christ died for you and I. He loves us. He set us free. He's chosen us. He's taken off the shackles. He knows who's in us. He's given us a gift. He set us apart. He loves us. He knows us. We're His children. He has eternity wrapped us for us. Do not be afraid. Stand up. There's one story to be told. Keep reminding yourself of that story. It never grows old. It changes us from the inside out. He is worthy of our praise. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the message today. If you are feeling encouraged, inspired, and moved by this message, I want to encourage you to head on over to our YouTube channel at Link Church for more amazing content. Have a great day.